you so much for listening to our podcast today at Word of Life. We know summer is busy with traveling and all things fun, but we have good news for you. You can stay in church even while on vacation through our online campus. You can watch live on Sundays at 10 and 1130 and get fed throughout the week with inspiring articles, message series, and so much more at thelifeonline.cc. Thank you for listening and enjoy the message. One of the things that stood out to me in one of the songs we were singing is that uh, the name of Jesus, it says it is unfailing. The name of Jesus is unfailing. Now, there's a lot of connotations for that, but one could be found in Romans 10, 13. It says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and why is the name of Jesus unfailing? Because anyone, anyone, anywhere, any place, any time, any season of life, any moment of difficulty, anyone at any time, anywhere can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And that's why it's unfailing. It will never fail. The name of Jesus will never fail. He will never fail you. And so tonight, can we just pray that over us as we step into this moment of the word of God being proclaimed forth? Could we just pray that together tonight we would have a moment where we say, Jesus, understanding that the name of Jesus, when we call on his name, he will never fail us. So let's just pray together tonight. Father, we love you. Thank you for being good. God, before anything else that we do, before anything else that we ask for, before anything else that happens tonight, God, we just want to honor you. You deserve our honor. You deserve our praise. You deserve our glory. You deserve it. And so, Father, we give it to you first. And Father, tonight my prayer is that is that you would speak very simply but very profoundly that you would speak to us, that everyone who came hungry, that they would be fed, that everyone who came thirsty, that they would drink and be satisfied by you and by your word. Father, let the seed of the word of God go forth tonight into prepared ground, into ground that is ready to receive this word. Because when it's planted in good ground, we know that the only result is a harvest. And so, Father, tonight, that's what we desire in our lives, is that as your word goes forth into our hearts, that it would produce a harvest, that our lives would look different, that our homes would look different, that our attitudes would look different, that our dreams and desires would look different. Because they're not coming from us anymore. They're coming from you and from the word that you have planted in us. So, Father, fill us and fill this place. Speak, Lord. We are listening. And we give you place tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to somebody, say hey to them. Once you say hey, you can grab a seat. Maybe you make a new friend tonight.
Well, I am so thankful that all of you are here tonight. If we haven't met, my name is Brian and I am on staff at our Lakeland campus. I'm the youth pastor over at the Lakeland campus. So you're in for a treat tonight. We're going to have some fun. But before we jump into the word of God, there's two things. If you ever hear me preach, ever, ever, ever hear me preach, there's two things that I like to do before I get into the word of God, because I understand before I am here to minister to you, there are some other things that are more important in my life, more important that God has given me a call to do. And one of those is to be a husband. I have my wife here with me, my beautiful Ana Natalia. I love you, babe. She's pregnant. Oh, my gosh. We're having a baby girl in like two months. So pray for grace and for peace. Rest. If you've had kids before, whatever you know that I don't know, pray for that for us because we're going to need it, but we are excited, and I'm super thankful that God's given us this blessing of having a a daughter in October, so I'm looking forward to that. Number two, what I want to do is I love to honor the house. I love that tonight, that where we are right now is something that God did. This isn't something that a man established in his heart to do. It was something that God desired to have in the earth, And so God made it happen. God made a way. And so I want to honor Pastor Joel, honor all of our staff here at Fondra. Can we just put our hands together for them to honor them tonight? They do a lot of work. It is a lot of work to plant a church, to start a church, to be a part of a church. Even it's a lot of work. But uh, if you have ever been on staff at a church, you know that there are a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that if that didn't happen, uh, that this place would feel a little bit different. So I'm super thankful for everyone that has put together an effort to make Fondren campus uh, here and to make it what it is and how beautiful it is. If you've got a Bible, let's just jump into the word tonight. We're going to be in Exodus chapter three, and we're going to start at verse number one. I am uh, here tonight. Pastor Joel sent me a text. He was like, hey, could you preach at Fondren tonight? He didn't send me this today. He sent me this a couple of days ago. And I was like, yeah, for sure. I can do that. Uh, and he I asked him, hey, is there anything that you want me to talk about? He says, well, I want you to continue to talk about the life of Moses. So if you've been here for the past couple of weeks, Pastor Joel has been talking through the life of Moses. And tonight we're just going to pick up and continue in that. So if you've got a Bible, Exodus chapter three, and we're going to read starting in verse number one. It says, now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet from the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, 
for he was afraid to look at God. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, uh, if you were here last week, even more specifically, Pastor Joel was talking about this question. He, he posed a question of who would you be if you were everything that you could conceivably be? Who is that person? And Pastor Joel talked about this. If you haven't heard this, go to the podcast, listen to it, because it is an important question we must all confront. Who would I be if I was everything that I could conceivably be? Because oftentimes we can rob God and rob the world of everything God has placed in us to give. And so we must wrestle with this question first of who would you be? Who would I be if we were everything that we could conceivably be? And tonight I want to take that step a little bit further to not just ask ourselves that question, but rather look at two things that in Moses's life unlocked his high calling. There's two things that I see in this passage that unlocked Moses's high calling. See, before we get to Exodus chapter three, this is a very iconic scene. If you've ever read any portion of scripture, you've been around church for any moment of time. You've probably heard about this story of a bush and a guy and the bush is burning, but it's not burning. And God's trying to speak like maybe you've heard of this iconic scene before. But one thing I don't want to do. I don't want to assume that you actually have heard this before. I don't want to assume that you even know who Moses is or how he got to this point. So let me just recap you of how we get to Exodus chapter three, because Exodus chapter one and two are very interesting. Exodus chapter one starts with the children of Israel, God's holy people. They're living in this place called Egypt. And one of the leaders of the children of Israel, of God's people in this time is this guy named Joseph. And Joseph is the second in command in all of Egypt. Like Joseph has risen through the ranks. The Pharaoh has seen the hand of God on Joseph's life. And so he says, you know what? If God's on you and he's making you succeed, you need to come be a part of my kingdom because I want that success in my kingdom. And Joseph, he rises through the ranks. He's the second in command. Pharaoh is the only person that has more power than him. And Joseph is in this moment where he has provided a place for his family and for God's people to find rest. But something begins to happen in the nation of Egypt. There is a power shift that starts to take place because the king who put Joseph in position is now leaving his position and a new king is coming in. And the issue with this new king who's coming in, the issue with this new pharaoh who's coming in is he doesn't know who Joseph is. He doesn't know anything that Joseph has done. He knows nothing about what's going on with Joseph. But what he does see is he sees that the children of Israel, God's people, are beginning to grow really quickly that they are having kids and they are producing and repopulating quicker than the Egyptians. 
And now this is an issue for a king of a nation because if there is another group of people that begins to outnumber you in your own nation, what happens when they decide we're tired of having a pharaoh, we want to have somebody else in charge. If they outnumber you, they will overtake you. This new pharaoh, this is what he sees. He doesn't see anything that God has done through Joseph. All he sees is I'm getting ready to lose power if they keep growing. If they get any bigger, I lose all of my power. And so he sets a decree. And he says, the way that I'm going to stop this whole repopulating situation is I'm going to set a decree that any boy that's born, he must be killed, thrown into a river to die. He must be killed. This is the Pharaoh's way of trying to control the children of Israel is by killing them. See, it's interesting that it takes us a moment to get to Moses' story, but if you understand what happened before Moses, it makes a little more sense. Because while this edict has just gone forth, while this new rule Pharaoh has just established, there is a woman who is a part of the children of Israel and she has a son. And she does what any mom would do. She hides him for three months as long as she can, but she realizes he's growing too quick. He's getting older. He's starting to move. He's making more noises. He may get caught and killed. And so what does this mom do? She does the best thing that she can think of for her son in this moment. She finds a basket, puts her son in the basket, covers the basket up and puts him in the same river where all of these other young boys have been thrown into to die. The same river. She takes her boy, puts him in the river. The interesting thing about this river is that it passes by the house of Pharaoh. And see, as this basket with this boy in it is passing by the house of Pharaoh, this, this moment happens where, where Pharaoh's wife is out in the water. And she sees the basket and is like, hey, what is that? calls for some of her servants to go grab the basket, bring it in. She opens it up, intrigued to see what a basket is doing floating in this river. She sees a boy and compassion rises in her heart. And she says, let's not kill him, let's keep him. And she names him Moses. And she takes him and she raises him, and Moses grows up in the culture of the Egyptians. He's not Egyptian. He's from the children of Israel, but he grows up with the Egyptians. But one day after Moses makes a huge mistake, like a, a big mistake, he does what many people do. In a moment of failure, in a moment of mistake, he does what many of us have probably done. He doesn't want to face it, so he runs away from it. And he runs away, and he finds himself in the land of Midian. And he marries this woman named Zipporah. They have some kids, and Zipporah's dad is named 
Jethro. So now you have a little context for how we get to Exodus chapter three, verse one. Let's read it one more time so we can see where we begin now. It says, now Moses, he was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight Why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Two things that I think we can pull out from the life of Moses that after we've asked ourselves this question, who would we be if we were everything that we could conceivably be? I think the next question is, how do we unlock that? Like, I know that I'm seeing this. I know that I'm getting vision for this. I know I'm getting vision for me, but how do I unlock it? Like, how do I do something with it? Do I just sit with this? How do I move forward with this vision, with this desire, with this dream that God has placed in me? I see two things primarily that Moses does that unlocks this. And I'll give you the two things. You can write them down and then we'll build them out. The first one, Moses drew near. So if you're writing, you're writing notes, I would write that down. Moses drew near. How to unlock the calling, the high calling of God on your life. I think the first thing we see from Moses that unlocked it is Moses drew near. I think the second thing that we see, and this one may sound a bit strange, but I think it'll make sense. It says Moses took off his shoes. Now, I'm going to explain what these two things are, but write these down so we have a frame of reference for where we're headed. The first thing that we see Moses do as he is unlocking the high calling of God on his life is Moses drew near. And I think this one's pretty simple to understand, but I think it, it bears reminding Moses drew near to God. Something caught Moses's attention. Like Moses is living his life. He's shepherding these sheep, but something catches his attention. He gets a glimpse of something that maybe he has never seen before. He gets a glimpse of something. Something resonates in him. He sees something and he draws near to it. Now, I would ask simply this question. Why did God have to use a burning bush, this miraculous sign, in order to get Moses' attention? You ever thought about that? Like, why does God have to use such a, 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 a miraculous moment in order to get Moses' attention? 
I think about scripture often, and it's funny because if you study scripture, you know that Moses actually wrote the book of Exodus. So it makes me think, Moses, okay, how many times did you leave out when God was trying to get your attention, but you disobeyed? Like, how many times did you not put that in the story? Because it really wasn't that important because you disobeyed. It just, it makes me wonder, how many times did God actually begin to speak to Moses? And Moses was like, no, God, I'm not ready. Just walked away from it. Moses wrote this. And it's interesting to think about that. That God had to use this miraculous sign in order to get Moses' attention. My question is, what does God, what does he have to do to get yours? Right? What does God have to do in order to get your attention? Is it a miraculous sign that you need in order for you to say, okay, God, I'm coming? Is it a moment when some miracle just happens and it's like, okay, God, I'll finally stop running. I'll draw near to you. What does it take for God to get your attention? I think that if we can shift a perspective just a little bit of instead of seeking the miraculous signs of God, if we shifted to just seeking the miracle worker who is God, think maybe it would be easier for him to get our attention, right? Like for Moses, he needed this miraculous sign in order to begin to draw near to God. What do you need? Or what would happen if you drew near to God intentionally? I don't know if you've read this before, but in James chapter four, verse eight, it says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Oh, you know it. Interesting. So, so what is it going to take for you to draw near to God? Because God's already given you a promise. If you do, he'll draw near to you. What are we talking about? Unlocking that high calling, unlocking what God has called you to be. That's what we're talking about. What, what unlocked it in Moses's life? Number one, he had to draw near to God. But I, But it just baffles me that God had to use this miraculous burning bush, iconic scene. Don't get me wrong. Like, I'm so thankful it's in the Bible. It's like, this is a miracle. But I just wonder, I just wonder how many times was God trying to get Moses' attention, but he couldn't because he was so busy focused on shepherding sheep that he didn't draw near to God. How much are you focused on shepherding sheep? I'm not saying shepherding sheep isn't important. I'm not saying that you don't have responsibilities. I'm not saying you don't have things to do. But what I am saying is, well, could you just make some space? Like, could you just make a little bit of space? Just like some intentional space. Just like some space where it says, no longer will I plan everything else around my work or around my family or around my job. I will not plan around those things or even my own desires. I'm going to plan my whole life around my time with God so that that comes first and everything else can come next. Like, what if you drew near to God like that? What if as you're setting up your schedule, getting ready to go back to school, you said, no, no, I can't. I can't take a class at that time because that's my time with God time. So counselor, I need you to figure this out, how we're going to do this, but I can't have that time in class. I need that time with God. 
You think God would be honored by that? I think he would. What if you said, hey, listen, boss, I, I know I, I, I know I got to be here at these times and these days, but this one hour and this one day, I can't be here. Why? This is my time with God. Like, I, I need to create some space. I need to have some time. Or what if you came to your family and said, hey, guys, hey, I, I know that in, at night we have this routine of what we normally do. But from this time to this time, we're going to seek the Lord. We're going to draw near to God. We're going to set our schedules around him and around that. Moses. The first thing that he did that unlocked his high calling was he drew near to God. God got his attention. Does God have yours? Do you intentionally set time apart to draw near to him? Does he have your attention? Does something else have your attention? Moses, the first thing that unlocked this for him was he had to shift directions and draw near to God. And I want to challenge you. If you're going to have your high calling unlocked as well, it's going to require you to draw near to God. Why? Because your high calling is not outside of God. Rather, it's found in him. Number one, Moses, he drew near to God, the first thing that unlocked his high calling. But number two, and this one's interesting, is that Moses took off his shoes. Now, before you take off your shoes and we need Febreze and all that, like, don't do that just yet. What I'm saying is, is that this is symbolic. It was a physical representation of something that was symbolically significant. One of the things that happens oftentimes when we read the scripture is that we read the scripture from the cultural context that we live in. So, for example, we are Americans, the majority of us, my wife's Mexican, but she'll be American soon in the name of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> we read the Bible through a lens that we have grown up in through the lens of our culture. So for example, if you were to hear someone say, Moses took off his shoes as he stepped into the presence of God, you may relate that to something that we see in our own culture. And you might relate that to something similar to taking off your hat, right? You know, when you, when you pray, you've ever seen somebody do this before? They, they, before they pray, they take off the hat. Why? Well, it's because I want to bring reverence and honor to God. Like, I want to reverence him. I want to honor him. So I take off my hat. It's not that taking off my hat gives him more or less honor. It's symbolic, though. You see this? It's symbolic. And this is how we might read this passage from our cultural understanding of what this might mean. But the issue is, is that the Bible wasn't written in a Western culture. It was written in an Eastern culture. So... When we read the Bible, it is very important to make that distinction because sometimes if we only think through the lens of our Western culture, we may miss the fullness of what God's trying to say. See, this moment where Moses takes off his shoes is really interesting if you think about it from an Eastern perspective. This isn't a moment where Moses is simply reverencing God. This isn't a moment where Moses is simply saying, God, I honor you. Rather, in an Eastern culture, whenever you would step into the presence of God, taking off your shoes 
It meant that you were coming into a recognition, you were realizing, but you were also confessing that you are unholy and unworthy, standing before a holy and worthy and pure God. When Moses took off his shoes, this was symbolically significant that Moses was coming into a recognition that he was impure and God was pure, that he was unholy and God was holy. And I find this very interesting because this is something that unlocked Moses's high calling. See, in our Western mind, what we would read when we see this is we're saying, okay, Moses is saying, God, you deserve my respect. But in an Eastern world, when we read this passage, Moses is saying, God, you are holy, you are pure, and I am not. I am not holy or pure, God. And what God was doing in this moment when he said, Moses, take off your shoes, he was calling him. He was calling him to a life of purity and holiness. God was calling Moses in this moment to a life of purity and a life of holiness. It's interesting because I would ask you this question. Have you come to a place where you've made the decision to say, God, I will live a holy life and a pure life. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying God's asking for a, a perfect life. I think he would like that. But I also know that he understands we won't be perfect until we are face to face with him. We'll be perfected then. But I've come to realize as well that oftentimes it's not as much about where we're standing, but about where we're pointed. And, and I think oftentimes we can focus too much on where we're standing. Like, ah, I messed up. All right. I got, all right, man, I got to get better. I got to do better. I got to do this. And my question would be, okay, I know you're, you're standing right here, but just where are you pointed? Are you pointed towards holiness? Are you pointed towards purity? Because if you're pointed towards holiness and pointed towards purity, yes, you might make mistakes along the way. But the issue is, is you're not making the same mistakes anymore. You're, you're growing. You're getting better. You're, you're pointed towards something different. I would ask this question. Could the high calling of God on your life be being restrained because you're unwilling to live a holy and a pure life. I'm not saying is God unable to give you a high calling because you're imperfect. I'm saying is your unwillingness to live a holy and a pure life the thing that is restraining God from being able to give you the high calling? Where are you pointed? Are you pointed towards purity? Are you pointed towards holiness? Because if you're pointed in that direction, you've got the right target. Because the only one who is holy, the only one who is pure is God. And if you're pointed towards him, 
Yes, you may make mistakes along the way, but you're walking towards purity and walking towards holiness. Where are you pointed? Take off your shoes, Moses. Come to a place of saying, God, I will take this sin off of my feet and I will begin to point my life in a new direction. I will begin to leave these things in the past and I will move towards purity and towards holiness. God, I am so thankful you don't judge me based on where I am right now, but you do judge where I'm pointed. And God, I'll be pointed to you. I'll be pointed towards you. Could Moses' unwillingness to take off his shoes to come to a place of understanding, I am unholy, I am impure, but I want to be holy and I want to be pure. If Moses didn't come to that place, if he didn't take off his shoes, Moses his calling, his high calling, it doesn't seem like it would have been unlocked. And I would ask you this question. I know this is a tough question to wrestle with, but I think it's exactly what God would want for us. Could your unwillingness to live a pure and a holy life be the thing that's restraining the high calling of God on your life? I would just simply give you that question to wonder to ponder, to meditate on because God's calling for your life will always be towards purity. It will always be towards holiness. So if you're unwilling to walk in that direction, you are restraining yourself from your high calling. You must be willing to say, God, I am desiring to lay these things aside and to walk towards you, to walk towards purity, to walk towards holiness. The two things that I see that unlocked Moses' high calling in this short passage of Scripture is, number one, he drew near to God. He drew near to him. And I would ask you this question, are you? Are you drawing near? Are you seeking him? Are you desiring him? Do you make space for him? Can he speak to you? Can he get your attention? Is there everything else going on that's got your attention that you never have any free time? All of your free time goes towards something or someone else, whether it's a phone in your hand, or whether it's friends that you've got. Does your free time go to everyone and everything else but God? Or are you drawing near to him? Are you making space for him? Can he get your attention? Moses drew near. But the second thing is Moses took off his shoes. Moses made a decision to say, God, I understand that I am unholy. I understand that I am impure, but I want to be holy and I want to be pure. And so I'll leave these things behind as a symbolic nature. In symbolic nature of saying, God, no longer will I live in impurity. No longer will I live in unholiness. But I, with everything in me, will desire to be pointed towards holiness and pointed towards purity. Because that's where you are. 
two things that unlocked the high calling on Moses' life. And I'm going to ask the band to come back up because I'm closing with this. There's one aspect of the life of Moses that I think we must also bring into the picture because oftentimes when we read scripture, we have this proclivity, like this human nature, the human tendency when we read scripture is to see ourselves in the text. So like, for example, we're talking about Moses and it's like, okay, Moses was a leader of a nation. Therefore, God, my high calling is to be the leader of a nation or at least just a business. Like my high calling is to be a leader too. We, we look at the story of Moses and we say, okay, what unlocked Moses's high calling? Okay, he drew near to God and he took off his shoes. Okay, God, I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to take off my shoes so that I can have the high calling that you have for me. Now, don't get me wrong, that is a part of the scripture. That is a part of how God teaches us, is he shows us things through the text so that we can begin to pull out principles from the text to live them out. But the problem with that is, is it's only one-sided. It's all about you. Like, the whole Bible then becomes a story about how God's going to do everything for you. And this is an issue because the whole Bible on a micro level has, has moments where, yes, God wants to show you things, to show you what he can do through you, to show you what he wants to do through you. But that's a very micro level of the Bible. The macro level of the Bible is that Moses is not an image of you. <laughs> Moses is an image of somebody, but it's not you. And we must begin to wrestle with this as we read text, as we read the Holy Scriptures, that it's not about me. I can pull out principles. I can learn from the story of Moses, but I am not Moses. And Moses is not me. And so when we read the Scripture on a macro level, when we step back from the text, when we step back from reading ourselves into the text, well, then we see a different narrative. We see there's the people of God, they are in bondage, and God raises up somebody to set them free. We see the people of God who are in bondage, who were being persecuted. But God sends a boy, a small boy, and raises him up to be the leader of a nation. See, on the macro level of this story, what you're seeing is in the Old Testament, Moses was the guy who led God's people out of bondage. But in the New Testament, it is Jesus who leads God's people out of bondage. Like in the Old Testament, we see Moses who comes to bring salvation and rescue to God's people. But in the New Testament, it is Jesus who comes to bring salvation and rescue to God's people. In the Old Testament, Moses is doing miracles to save the people of God. Oh, but in the New Testament. Jesus is the one who has come to do miracles to save the people of God. We must see this text from a macro level as well. Because if you can see it from a macro level, you'll begin to see this story is not about me. 
This story is about Jesus. This story is about what he wants to do for his people. This story is an invitation to become a member of the family of God because God sends someone to take care of his family. See, on a macro level, when you look at this story, you see something very, very different. This isn't a story about you or about me or even about Moses. This is imagery. This is foreshadowing for what's to come. See, the Old Testament, it's all pointing towards Jesus. And the New Testament, it's all flowing from Jesus. That's the narrative of the Bible. And so I want to, I want to help you to see that because when we become a people in a society that as we read scripture, we only see ourselves, we will always miss God. Why? Because what you'll begin to see is God wants to do something through me. What you have to realize is that God will never do something through you at the cost of your relationship with him, at the cost of your life being given to Jesus. And so we've got to become a culture and a a body of Christians, a body of believers who says, I I know that I can see myself in Moses' story. Like I know I can see some elements and some some things I can pull out, some principles that I can use in my day-to-day life. But at the end of the day, this isn't a story about Moses. This is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the one who came for me. Jesus is the one who died for me. Jesus is the one who sets me free. And if Jesus wants to set me free, then I'm going to live free. His name, it's unfailing, right? It's unfailing. Anyone, anyone, whoever, <laughs> whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, yeah. any, anyone, whoever, anywhere, anytime, any place, whoever. But before we even get to unlocking our high calling, we must first take this step that says, Before God wants to do something through me, could I allow God to do something in me? Like if I haven't taken this first step to give my life to Jesus, then I've missed the whole point of the story of Moses. This isn't just a good story for me to get some good principles so I can live a good life. This is pointing to Jesus. And because it points to him, if I miss that, I miss everything. Because it's not about me. My high calling is not about me. It's about God. Your high calling. It's not about you. It's about what God wants to do in this earth and for his people. And I want to call you into that. I want to call, and I believe God wants to call you into that to call you into this moment where no longer are you just seeing your story, your life, your calling, your mission, your family, your job. This life isn't about you anymore. Rather, you see there's someone who, when I was bound, he came to set me free. There's someone who, when I was broken, he came to heal me. There's someone, when I was enslaved, he set me free, and his name is Jesus. This is the call of the story of Moses. See what I do for my people. 
And maybe tonight for you, you want to step into that. Maybe tonight for you, you want to step into this high calling. It starts with him. It starts with giving your life to Jesus. It starts with a moment of surrender. It starts with a moment of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is really simple. It means you're heading in one direction. You realize it's the wrong direction. It is in disobedience to God. And you say, no longer will I head in this direction. I'm changing directions. My life is going to be pointed in a new direction. I am no longer living for me. I am no longer living for my desires. I am no longer living for what I want. I am living for what God desires. And I am living under his law. It's a change of directions. And that's what God calls for. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Why? Because when you're calling on the name of the Lord Jesus, you're saying, Jesus... I give you my life. I point my life towards you and no one else. This is repentance. And maybe for you tonight, this is what God's calling you to. It's a moment of saying, yep, I see. I see very clearly this life isn't about me. I see very clearly I've been walking in the wrong direction. I've been walking in disobedience. I've been living a life intentionally unholy and intentionally impure. And I want to change directions. Jesus says, call on me. Just just call. Call. And you will be saved. And so let's just take a moment to pray. So wherever you are, you can bow your heads. You can close your eyes. And maybe tonight for you, you have had something awaken in you. Something has awakened that maybe wasn't there before. Maybe you didn't realize that it was there. But something in you has awakened. Something in your heart has just come alive. That up until this moment, it wasn't. And you see that what that is it is a moment of you deciding, I'm changing directions tonight. I'm not walking in that path anymore. I'm not walking in that way anymore. I am not living in unholiness or impurity anymore. I am walking towards God. I am changing directions. I want to call on the name of the Lord Jesus so that I can be saved and I can live for him. That's the message of the gospel. Jesus, he came to set you free. He came to give you freedom so that no longer did you live under the chains of the Egyptians or the chains of your sin or the chains of anything else, but you came to live as a servant of him in his kingdom under his law. And tonight, if you want that, it's really simple. Romans 10, 13, all, anyone, anybody, whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you want that tonight with heads bowed, eyes closed, very simple. On the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Say, yep, I need that. Beautiful. Yep, I need it. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yep, I need to change directions. I need repentance. I need to change directions. Beautiful. You can put those hands back down. 
Now, would everyone in here, would you join me in a prayer? This is a prayer of change of directions. This is a prayer of holiness and purity. This is a prayer of saying, God, I am pointing my life towards you and no one and nothing else ever again. My life is yours. So if you raise your hand, this is a moment for you to make this decision real. But maybe you're in here as well and you just need to rededicate that life. You need to just say, God, you know what? I see I've been going in the wrong direction. I need to change. I repent and I change directions. If that's you, this is your moment too. So with everyone in here, we're gonna sing a song of worship right after this so that we can have a moment where God seals this in our hearts. But with everyone in here, would you just pray this prayer with me? You can repeat it after me. Just say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Father, I see that I have been heading in the wrong direction. But Father, today I am awakened. My eyes are open. My ears are open. My heart is open to you. Father, I believe that Jesus died for me to set me free. And Father, I believe that he rose again from the grave. So Jesus, I give you my life. Father, I ask you to fill me with your spirit so that I may continue to live a life of purity and holiness. In Jesus' name, amen.